This was a long time in the making. Not because it took a lot of work, but because the whole idea is a bad faith argument made by people that are either historically illiterate or malicious. Nevertheless, this is a myth that needs to be cut down as hard as possible. I know that this will not stop bad actors from bringing this argument up, the same way the Age of Darkness rulebook that says only men can be space marines hasn't stopped someone like the Templin Institute from saying female space marines are a thing. Andy Chambers said clearly that Gazgul Mag Uruktraka has nothing to do with Margaret Thatcher. People still believe the lie despite what the Orcs creator has said. But I do this out of a moral obligation to 40K's lore, to history, and to the truth. It might sound pretentious, but YouTubers are mostly narcissists that like hearing themselves talk and be right. I'm just off my pills for so long that I grew to accept this, and the fact that the Romanian government and the CIA are working together to track me so they can make experiments on me using alien technology recovered from Mauritius. This was a joke. I'm very funny. To make things clear in here, I will now be using your fascism. Because every point presented by Umberto Eco is something that can be applied to all political systems and ideologies. Your fascism reduces the discussion to Hitler drank water, so everybody that drinks water is Hitler. I'm certain we can see the flaws in that line of thinking, right? With that said, let's start this beautiful journey. For the Imperium to be fascist, there are a few requirements. One of the most important aspects of fascism is a strong military leader. For what it's worth, fascist rulers across Europe had a military background. Hitler fought in World War I, gained the rank of Lance Corporal, and many members of the Nazi party were also former soldiers. Mussolini also fought in World War I, reaching the rank of Corporal. Marshal Ion Antonescu from Romania, as the title implies, was a marshal. Of course, this rank became his when he was in power, but during World War I he was a chief of staff for a Romanian general. Francisco Franco of Spain had quite an impressive military career before leading the winning side of the Spanish Civil War. Uh, this is going to be a hard one. Ferenc Szilazy, the leader of fascist Hungary, also fought in World War I. Overall, you can see that is one common aspect over all types of fascism. It doesn't really matter if it's Romanian, Italian, German, Hungarian, Spanish. This is a common element that they all have. But how does this not apply to the Imperium? Might the fool or devil ask? The answer is simple. The Emperor renounces leadership of the Great Crusade and left the administration of the Imperium to a Senate. Nowadays, we know it as the Senatorum Imperialis. During the Great Crusade and the Horus Heresy, this was known as the Council of Terra. The Senatorum today, or in the 42nd millennium, is made out of 12 seats that are the most important. Those that occupy those seats are known as the High Lords of Terra. But the Senatorum also has members from all varying adeptas that do not have the power, influence, and are not as necessary to the Imperium as the Twelve. Each member selected as a representative, because that is what those seats mean, is chosen in various ways. 
While some positions are earned, like the lower commander militant, some are chosen to be the representatives through voting, as is the case of the Patronoval envoy of the navigators. The representatives of the navigators is picked from one of the weaker houses, by the stronger houses. This system was created, so not one house of the navigators could control the whole imperium and gain a monopoly through its position in the senate. It helps when it comes to that. While those fascist nations I mentioned earlier also had a senate, it was a decision of those strong leaders like Hitler, Mussolini, Antonescu, Franco, that mattered and counted. The senate acting more like a puppet. Until, of course, certain points and certain times, as Mussolini would probably tell us if he could. While in the case of the Imperium, the Senate controls all the power. It's not the puppet of just one entity, though at certain points in history it did become so. And when it did, it didn't end well for the puppet master, shall we say. Of course, the Senatorum Imperialis takes decision by votes. It feels redundant to mention this, but it is needed. It's very needed. But they worship him, fight, kill, and die for him, might one novice or one malicious person say. The problem with this appears in the fact that the Emperor of Mankind is not the ruler of the Imperium. He hasn't been the ruler in a long time. The Emperor is the God of Humanity. The Emperor holds no power of decision or command over the Imperium, or the Senatorum Imperialis. Not like he can really, because he's trying to keep Terra safe and the Imperium in good condition by keeping up the light of the Astronomicon. It is quite an important task. Another aspect of fascism is its centralization. Everything in the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state. At first glance, the Imperium seems to check this one pretty well. But the problem here is that if we spend a little time looking at the Imperium, we are looking at an empire that is less centralized than many modern nations or unions. Let us not forget about the existence of the 500 worlds of Ultramar that act more like an autonomous zone or how planets are left pretty much their own devices and rule as long as they pay their tithes. This makes the Imperium closer related to a feudal system, not a fascist one. In fact, the Imperium is way more like the Holy Roman Empire than fascist Italy. The Holy Roman Empire was also decentralized, with provinces having freedom to govern themselves, but being required to pay certain tithes or provide military support to the emperor. This decentralized system allows local rulers to maintain their own laws and customs, while the emperor held the position of authority and acted as a unifying figure. When we look at worlds like Cadia, or Vostroya, or Valhalla, or Baal, we see that many of these places follow the Holy Roman Empire model, the level of autonomy that the Imperium provides is different from the central everything-for-the-state politic of fascism. The belief in the Emperor unites the Imperium the same way the belief in God united Western countries during the Crusades. Which is funny when you have works like High Crusade 
that sees a bunch of English crusaders capturing a spaceship and conquering an empire in the name of their god. It's a funny reference that 40k makes there. With those points knocked off, there should be no discussion about the Imperium being fascist. The Imperium isn't fascist. But there are other aspects and points that must be tackled. Hammer this, to hammer this point further, if you will. One of my favorite aspects to tackle is the economical system. Because fascism is both a political and an economical system. If we look at this aspect, we see that the Imperium is pretty much self-sufficient. It has its own production worlds that create weapon f- weapons for it, and its own agri-worlds that produce food. It's so self-sufficient, it might be just what fascist rulers liked. This checks one aspect of the economical side of fascism. Of course, if you ignore one very important aspect, there really isn't anybody to trade with. Sure, planets might trade between themselves and the Imperium, but at the end of the day, the Imperium cannot trade goods with the Orcs, Chaos, Necrons, Eldars of both Craftworlds and Comrag, Tyranids or Tau. This point of fascism can be attained because there's simply no better option. It's either your own closed economy or death. And death isn't a preferable option. We can't talk about fascism without talking about how it's a socialist ideology. And neither can we ignore fascism's love for syndicalism. As a quick history lesson, we first had national syndicalism, initially an idea created in France, moved over to Italy, and the nationalists and the syndicalists decided it's a good idea to combine. It's a strange love affair between nationalists and syndicalists, that's the end of it. And that love affair further evolved into fascist syndicalism. Now, fascist syndicalists favored class struggle, worker-controlled factories, and hostility to industrialists. Mussolini was among the first to promote fascist syndicalism, even saying, fascist syndicalism is national and productivistic, in a national society in which labor becomes a joy, an object of pride, and a title to nobility. The Imperium, being a decentralized unit, makes having one ideology like fascist syndicalism and everything it comes with quite impossible. In fact, the closest the Imperium gets to this ideology is in places where gene-stealer cults have infiltrated and are thriving. Of that, make of it what you will. Fascism is a revolutionary ideology thanks to its socialist roots. This has nothing to do, little to nothing to do, with the Imperium being fascist or proving it isn't. But in 1990, when the fascist manifesto was introduced, one of the things they supported was universal suffragette. Yes, women included. The right to vote. One person, one vote. That principle. The funny thing is that only women's suffragettes would be implemented in 1925, when all opposing parties were either banned or disbanded. I didn't know this, and if I wasn't working on this project, I might have never cared enough to find out. There's good sides to everything. One ridiculous argument that can come up from here is the fact that some 
morons, might argue that the Imperium was at least fascist as the Emperor ruled over it, from the Unification War to the Great Crusade to the end of the Horus Heresy. Let us ignore the War Council that governed the Imperium until the formation of the Council of Terra, and let's look at the Emperor and his actions. He united nations of techno-barbarians and warlords on Terra, and then took to the stars to reunite humanity. To bring back humanity under one banner, he waged war and negotiations with those willing to reunite with their ancestral homeworld. At some point during the Great Crusade, the Emperor left his position as leader. Fascist leaders around Europe were either killed or executed for their actions, with only Franco of Spain dying of old age. But the Emperor renounced his position to work for the betterment of humanity with his Webway project. This is a departure from fascist leaders that hanged on to power until their deaths. He left the rule in the hands of humans to govern themselves, an act that turned many Primarchs and Space Marines to hate the human lordlings that now ruled over them. In an interesting way, a good comparison with the Emperor can be made with the first American president, George Washington, who himself renounced his position and even rejected the offer to become King of America. Much in the same way, the Emperor rejected the claims of his divinity. Furthermore, the Emperor's refusal to claim divinity sets him apart from fascist leaders, who sought out to elevate themselves as godlike figures. His renouncement of, claim, of the claims to divinity demonstrate a humility and a recognition of the importance of humanity's agency, rather than the imposition of totalitarian ideology. Both George Washington and the Emperor can be seen as pivotal figures in the founding of their respective realms. Washington played a crucial role in the establishment of the United States of America, leading the Revolutionary War and serving as the first president. Similarly, the Emperor united disparate factions during the Unification Wars and spearheaded the Great Crusade to bring humanity together under the banner of the Imperium. Both figures demonstrate a belief in the capability and potential of human beings. Washington's decision to entrust governance to elected officials reflected his faith in the ability of citizens to participate in self-governance. Likewise, the Emperor's choice to delegate authority to human lords within the Imperium suggests a similar conviction in humanity's ability to shape its own destiny and make decisions for the betterment of society. We can see the Emperor had, and I still think has, faith in humanity's ability to govern itself, a line of thinking missing from fascist rulers, or in fact any type of authoritarian ruler. One element that is falsely attributed to fascism is its hatred of the other. This was the thing of the Nazis. One, they imputed, or inputted, on their allies. But in its origins, fascism does not hold hatred for minorities. Surprisingly, neither does the Imperium. Races in the 40k universe are not the same as ours in the real world. People of colors form the Imperium. All kinds of colors. The problem appears with the aliens that would have humanity destroyed, or those that abused humanity during the Long Night, in the Age of Strife, of course. 
the closest we can get to having races in the way of our real world understanding is with ab humans like ratlings or ogrins, both of whom are accepted in the Imperium. This acceptance of diversity within the Imperium further emphasizes that the conflict lies not in racial or ethnic differences among humans, but in the struggle against external threats. The Imperium's war with the Xenos can be better described as different packs of animals fighting each other, and the Imperium fights to survive, and sometimes unite humanity when possible. Another topic that must be discussed is dissent and propaganda in the Imperium. It's important to note that Imperial propaganda exists so for a very good reason. Not only to bolster the morale of the citizens and troops, a common occurrence even in today's day and age, but also to hide the horrible truth that might lead humanity to its damnation. When dissenters are being punished or killed, this happens not because they disagreed with the Imperium's necessity to recreate Rogel's Dorn's gigantic chainsword, <laughs> that very few women can survive, but because somebody thought worshipping this entity that gives him a harem of women, of women, I guess, is a good idea. Additionally, dissent within the Imperium is not solely based on disagreement with the Imperium's goals or policies. It often involves individuals who have been corrupted or influenced by the forces of chaos. Chaos is a perversive and insidious force that seeks to corrupt and manipulate individuals, turning them against the Imperium and humanity. Punishment or actions taken against dissenters are not merely for holding different opinions, but are primarily aimed at rooting out chaos influence and protecting the Imperium from its malevolent grasp. Chaos is real, its corruption is strong and its temptations even stronger. Common citizens knowing the truth of the universe would create way more problems, with horns and fangs and weird-looking appendages. Compared to propaganda in the real world, the one the Imperium makes is needed for both the Imperium at large, but for humanity too. When comparing propaganda in the Imperium to real world examples, it is essential to recognize the unique context of the Warhammer 40k universe. The Imperium propaganda serves a crucial function in preserving humanity's fragile existence and shielding its citizens from the grim realities of the universe. The threat of chaos and the potential for widespread corruption necessitates, necessitates yeah, a carefully controlled dissemination of information to prevent chaos worship and the spread of chaos-related mutations. Think of it like this. Many people wanted lockdown some time ago, for the good of humanity, but many would not agree to being lied to constantly and the truth being hidden from them. Another example for this I want to give you is, imagine all the incarnations of hell we know in literature, media, and so on. What if what we see isn't even close to the reality, and the truth is way, way more horrible. But a truth that can corrupt you and turn you into a mindless beast. Would it be a good idea to know that truth? Or would it be a better idea to never know? This is what starts the Horus Heresy and proves that the Emperor was right to an extent. What awaits the Imperium if the truth is ever spilled out is far far worse.
Lastly, we will look at the symbols of the Imperium that many malicious or ignorant people claim to be fascist, though that word is used interchangeably with the word Nazi in this case. First of all is the symbol of the Imperium itself, the two-headed Aquila, eagle. Many have attributed this as a Nazi symbol. The problem lies in that an eagle was used as a symbol for nations and banners long before the Nazis, and long after. From countries like Serbia, Albania, the Holy Roman Empire, Armenia, Montenegro, the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, Romania, and the list is endless on how widespread the Ingo symbol is used. It means way more than just Nazis. And let's not forget that the Nazi eagle had only one head. Morons. Another symbol that gets accused of Nazism is anything related to the Black Templars, but mostly the cross they have. For some dumb reason, people seem to call it an Iron Cross, which is wrong. So wrong, those people should be sent back to school. The cross of the Black Templars is the Hospitalier's Cross, the Order Knights of Malta, renowned for protecting hospitals and being firemen. The funny thing about the Iron Cross is that it was used by the German slash Prussian army long before the Nazis, and it's still used today. Lastly, it's the whole faction of the Death Corps of Krieg, an army that is based off the First World War. The uniform of the corps is a mixture of different uniforms from the First World War. Their uniform has no symbol that can be present on the uniform of the Wehrmacht or the SS. These comparisons and accusations steam from either ignorance or malice, seeing their prevalence into online discussions and how those that argue those points tend to suffer from red brain rot. Malice is the only possible way of describing why these arguments always come up. The same people would have you delete the access from historical games so that they never exist. They would deface Buddhist temples for having swastikas on them just to push a point. Nuances are being lost by not looking at the broader concepts of these symbols and their historical importance. People that claim those symbols are fascist, or the whole of the Imperium is fascist, lack the range to hold a proper conversation about how deep the 40k universe and the Imperium are in its inspirations and way of handling themes and ideas. Any and all accusations of fascism or Nazism are made out of an evil agenda that wants to destroy the setting. But this leaves us with one last argument. One that is pretty dumb, and it comes from a surprising place. And that one is Games Workshop, saying the Imperium is a parody of fascism. You want to talk about a lack of range? Look no further than the company that hired CS Goto. It is no surprise then to see that the company that creates these stories has no idea what they're doing. Here's another important aspect that proves Games Workshop wrong. A parody is a humorous or mocking imitation of something using the same form as the original. As I have said and proven until now, 
after talking about this subject for so long, the Imperium is anything but a parody or a direct correlation with fascism. The Imperium is a multi-layered and intricate state that is as different from fascism as an apple is different from the zebra. I also like to add the words of the creator of 40k to all these arguments. Firstly, from Rick Priestley in an interview, here is what he's asked. The Imperium often argues that its brutal methods towards fighting aliens, demons, and heretics are necessary and the best possible solution. But in fact, the Imperium is self-deceiving. It thinks this is the only way humanity survives. There are better ways it could do things, but that will require profound reforms that the elite don't want. The Imperium thus protects the interests of the elite at the expense of the masses. Its solution to the problems is always to ask for more sacrifices. Do you agree? Is this what you envisioned? Of course, as I've mentioned before, red brain rot. Priestley answers, I never imagined the Imperium, though about it at all. Different factions within what I think I call the High Lords of Terra pursue their own agendas, some more rational than others. But there was always this element of psychers posing a genuine danger to humanity that legitimized witch hunts and a certain amount of interference. At least, that was the idea to start with. I always thought of individual worlds as being the personal fiefdoms of their planetary lords, hardly touched by the Imperium as such. Indeed, how could they be when they might be separated by decades of travel from Terra? So, I always imagined some worlds were perfectly nice and peaceful, until the orcs turned up, others were largely forgotten about, and a few had more or less become independent and self-sufficient by necessity. As the background evolved, it became very samey, and the universe I had created to be varied and diverse became just one thing, one big war front. But such is the way, I'm afraid. Also, you have to consider the possibility that this is the only way humanity can survive. And next, we have another answer from an interview, still by Rick Priestley. It says this, on the origins of Warhammer 40k. The original book certainly combined a dystopic and violent universe with humor. Perhaps the irony was rather heavy-handed, and maybe the humor verges on the silly in places. But I was writing a book about war games for wargamers, and not aiming for literally credibility. And, just as well, you might reasonably say, my approach has always tended to combine high and low styles together. Sometimes that was to evoke a deliberate clash, intended to remind us that this is all pretend and we should not take it too seriously. I probably couldn't resist the gag. And in the end, I want you to listen to these last words. These are the words of George Orwell about fascism. As used, the word fascism is almost entirely meaningless. Almost any English person would accept bully as a synonym for fascist. Fascism has now no meaning except in so far as it signifies something not desirable. This has been all. I hope you enjoyed this, and I'll see you in the next one.